Warning, there's lots of swearing in this one, so be gone with your tender ears. On this episode, I get into some trouble. Ah, 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 fuck! Help! And we try to find the biggest tree in New South Wales. Ha 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 This is it, brother. This is the Humidity Podcast. Hi there, I'm Tim McDonald. This is part two of a series, and although this one can stand on its own, it would make me very happy if you'd listen to both episodes. And maybe like and subscribe, too. Now, in this episode, I set out with my friend Mark Graham, who's an ecologist. We head into the forest to visit the biggest tree in New South Wales. It's a massive tallow wood, that's a type of eucalyptus tree, and it's 80 metres tall. And until shortly before this little adventure, Mark was worried that it might be lost to Australia's massive bushfires. Two of his friends joined us, Alistair with a red beard and Andre with cable ties for earrings. You won't hear from them quite as much. I didn't have enough microphones to go around. And much like Mark, they're environmentally minded and they all spent much of the summer trying to contain fires. Now, before we headed out, Alistair and Andre met us at an old hippie commune where Mark has a property. It's maybe five or six hours drive north of Sydney. The closest town is a place called Bellingen. It backs onto the New England National Park where this massive tree is. So we set out in Mark's four-wheel drive along a rutted track towards what you generously describe as the trailhead. Now, commune life actually seems pretty complicated. It's one large property with 12 shares, and if you want to do something with your share or just fix the track up the middle, you have to negotiate with everyone else. Some owners just aren't around. This is the only fully abandoned share. It's just completely derelict. And frankly, I'd just love to see... Well, the house is all completely... Oh, it's a write-up. It's just a mouldy cesspit. <laughs> yeah, like you would... And others have, shall we say, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, literally. The guy who owns put out in these freaky mannequins everywhere. So we drove through fields that were waist high and over creeks. We'll see how we go. We'll see. It's just when I'm getting up there that I need it. There we go. And at one point, Mark even had to pull a chainsaw out of the back to remove a tree that was in the way. But we soon reached the top of the commune and we started our march up this gushing creek. Here's the thing, the whole trip wasn't very far at all. It's something like five kilometres round trip, but it took all day because we were trudging through the creek or climbing onto steep banks and forcing our way through thick forest. It was so dense that you could only see about 20 metres in front of you. Hey guys. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just stay where you are for a sec. (coughs) Copy that. (coughs) Copy that. Out of sight. And there were plenty of bushes that had opinions about our presence. Really special stuff. That's got me. It did. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You can. That's the irritant. You've you've had a histamine response. And you'll even find there'll be a bit of a cold sweat. You might feel it when you have a swim or a shower for a day or two, but that'll be that. Yeah. 
And it was also a beautiful patch of forest. The creek was pristine enough to drink from. We didn't bother bringing any water. Massive tree trunks reached for the sky. It was a cloudy day, but that didn't matter much because the forest canopy was completely closed in anyway. And below, a dense understory made life difficult for us, but hinted at a rich, thriving ecology. There were some perfect swimming holes along the way, and the forest floor was strewn with purple berries. Alistair would occasionally snap a picture of a brightly coloured mushroom. Yeah, you probably cook some of it. I mean, they're solanaceous alkaloids, and you don't want to play too hard in that space. You'd end up tripping for days, blind, somewhere naked in the middle of a roundabout. As for animals, well, if they were there, they weren't letting us know about it, save for a stout-looking python hiding in a tangle of branches that had fallen across the creek. We got some wildlife, Tim. What do you got? Big snake, okay. Pi python. Yeah, what a great spot to come and sun yourself, eh? Where is he? Right in the middle of the gap here. He's, he's certainly got a... It looks like he's about to shed. He's got the milky eye. So he's out, he's out here getting sun to get the energy to... Yeah, look at how milky that one is. He's so active, though. It's pretty rare that they're this kind of... They're kind of irritable when they're there. When they're shedding. Yeah, he's, he's, he's edgy. Yeah. And they tend to strike first and ask later, you know? Coming up. Well, we've measured it at 80. I expect it could exceed 90, and probably I suspect trees could, would potentially reach their absolute physiological limit close to 100 metres. Hoping that one of these three patches that we're not going to get anywhere near today hosts a 90 plus metre tree. Conf relatively confident that that's the case. The biggest tree, or the biggest tree for a couple of kilometres? About 18 million years ago, this whole area was what's known as a shield volcano. Picture a blob of magma bubbling continuously out of the ground until it forms a sort of flattish dome about 90 kilometres across. Over time, it eroded into something that looks more like a rumpled blanket, ravines, ridges and spurs folding over on each other, all carved out by rain tumbling off the escarpment above into gushing creeks and painted green with dense forest. And it all sits on a sort of border between Australia's temperate and subtropical zones, where mild weather meets warmer weather. And that makes for a rich and varied forest. There's temperate rainforests, subtropical rainforests, and eucalyptus all in the same area. These areas are pristine. The creeks that drain them are filled with some of the cleanest water in the world, with some of the most ancient aquatic ecosystems in the world. But there are also links that go back even further than this long-vanished volcano to when Australia was part of the southern supercontinent Gondwana. This area is an arc through time. The transition of forest to our west tells us all sorts of lessons about deep time going back to the time of the dinosaurs, back 60, 80, 100 million years and more before Australia broke up from South America and Antarctica. And there are no weeds in this area. There are no signs of modern humanity at all. This is increasingly rare globally. And as one of the custodians of this, one of the neighbours of this area, I want the best outcomes for this forest. I want it to remain weed free. I want to make sure that fire doesn't get into it. And actually that's why this year was so distressing for so many. Australia's bushfires were more extensive than any in living memory, but it's qualitative as well as quantitative. 
this part of the country really isn't supposed to burn. And yet, it was under threat. And there was a great risk over the past few months that fire would get into this area. At the peak of the fire conditions that we had, fire would actually have burnt right through this uh, deep, dark, subtropical rainforest. And thankfully, we've now had some significant rainfall that's made the system moist again. But we went into historical record levels of dryness where there, the soil profile, any organic matter in it would burn fire would carry through the palm glades around us and we actually experienced that two to three kilometres to our south where areas of pure rainforest burnt through and the sensitive species within them, the fungi and the invertebrates and the frogs and all these other very special ancient creatures all died. These forests are pure rainforests. We need to go a few hundred metres up the ridges until there are any eucalypts, till there's any uh, fire tolerant vegetation. So these forests have few, if any, ways, mechanisms of uh, handling fire, of responding to and regenerating from fire and most of the fauna in it has no capacity to respond to fire. So the best thing we can do to retain these ecosystems and to ensure that they're viable is to protect them from fire. That's going to be increasingly important as our planet warms and dries and the types of fires we've experienced in the last five months or more in this region are an absolute consequence of humanity's greenhouse gas emissions. We are turning up the dials, we are making it drier, we are making it hotter, we are forcing fire into areas where fire is simply not meant to go. Before COVID-19 made this a weird year when emissions somehow lurched lower, the fires spewed a huge amount of carbon into the atmosphere, something like double Australia's annual emissions just in the first few months of 2020. In theory, the carbon that gets released is taken up again as the forests regrow. In fact, Australia's carbon accounting for this year regards the fires as having a negligible climate impact for precisely this reason. But a lot of assumptions are baked into that arithmetic. What if the forests don't bounce back after such massive fires? What if seasons like this one become far more common? And what about an area like this one, where fire just isn't part of the ecological cycle? On our current trajectories, they're not going to be able to return to the previous norm. There's a new norm, and that's a, that is an absolute erosion and a reduction in carbon storage. Yeah. And does it mean that we get, I don't know, smaller forests? Yes, or we may be in some type of uh, spiral in which these types of forests are no longer able to function because we're hitting feedback loops and crossing thresholds that mean that profound change is unwinding around us and that the previous norm and the stability of the biosphere that's nurtured humanity for 10,000 or so years mm -hmm. isn't there anymore. And that's a truly frightening prospect that these are potentially now uncontrollable processes of carbon mobilisation. 
Um, to be honest, that's, that's my worst nightmare scenario, but we realistically, we do need to, at the very least, entertain the possibility that that is what we're now bearing witness to. My godfather, I hope I'm wrong, you know? Yeah. Having an eight-year-old son, almost eight-year-old son, and contemplating those types of runaway processes is... It does your keeper in, you know? Mark, as you might expect, has been banging the climate drum for a very long time, so I wasn't at all surprised to hear him talk this way. But what seemed different this year is just how many people I spoke to who were starting to share his anxiety. I guess when you drive to the beach through endless burnt forest, it's hard not to believe that somehow this bushfire season is just a little bit different. In the end, it was sudden rain late in the season that came to the rescue. These forests, at least, were suddenly doing well and some of the trees were dropping fruit on the forest floor. So, Tim, if you wanted, these are pretty close to ripe to perfection, the really red ones there, and, you'll, and as they get riper and riper, they get sweeter yeah. and sweeter. And I'll give it a go, the red yeah. one. Yeah. And you've heard of the wreck of the Stinson up in Lamington? There was a plane that Westray, and I can't remember the names of the other dudes, so basically it flew into the side of a mountain. And That's all seed. <laughs> yeah, okay. You got a bit of Swedish yeah. flesh? Yeah. That's right. Not a lot of mm. um, flavour. The, the mm. riper they are, the better, basically. Mm. But I think two died mm-hmm. and three passengers survived. So they're in the side of a mountain in the mm. middle of the... And just eating this stuff. Yeah. Mm. And then Bernard O'Reilly, he'd heard a sound and he was like, yeah, it's got to be up there because there's this big... And he hiked and he... So there's a movie. It was with Jack Thompson, The, the mm. Wreck of the Stinson, and mm. 84, I think it was. Okay. And, um, yeah, so basically he went in and saved them and then they cut a pack trail. They brought all the people up from the valley floor and cut and stretched the injured ones out for three k's or something through yeah. this type of shit. Mm. Yeah, like up, up and down sheer mountains. It's, it's an amazing story. Often, when you find enormous trees, the reason they haven't been cut down and turned into construction materials or furniture or paper is that they're just too difficult to get to. And that's certainly the case here. And that meant that if something went wrong, the options really weren't good. Because part of the contingency and risk management planning is about evac routes, you know, like by sheer necessity. And Well, here we've got one that's not particularly good. It's not. And you're talking field stretch. You're talking like wreck of the Stinson type, you know, somebody goes buggering something up and loses their mobility, you're going to have to carry him because there's no chance of a chopper in this country. So we're a solid three or four hours in when we get to a fork in the creek and Mark loses his bearings. Shit. Have we gone past it? No, we haven't, we haven't gone past it. But I'm just... Oh, look at the size of this. I'm actually... Could it be up that creek? It's on, on, it, a, on a creek. It's it? on the creek. There is okay. this creek here. And how far is the next one? Another 150, 200 metres, but we've got this huge ravine here. It's and either this creek really... or the next one. It had to be one or the other, so after a little bit of deliberation, we hooked right and pushed our way up the new creek. And how far up the creek would it be? Uh... Only a couple of hundred metres through here. Or should we just go and check we that We should one? just go and check yeah. that out. And then if not, yeah. presumably it's the next one. The next one, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be OK, it's not, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, look, I'm so sorry that the fabric of this landscape is so confounding. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, ever eager and nimble as a mountain goat, climbed up the bank, 
to make sure we were headed in the right direction, and the rest of us sploshed away in the stream. So I'll just scout down here if I can spot a couple of trees that I can remember I might confirm it. And then it happened. I put my hand on a boulder in the stream to balance myself and it just languidly rolled over onto my leg. Help! I'm here. Help! Come down, quick, guys, guys, quick, come, come. What is it? Every mention of how wild, rugged, remote and inhospitable this country is suddenly came rushing back. Would I be described in a page six story as the underprepared idiot who got himself injured in a canyon somewhere? If I really was in trouble, how the hell would they get me out? It's not as if there's anywhere to land a helicopter. Would I have to live off berries while somebody tried to find me, wreck of the Stinson style? You want me back quick, quick. Lock on my leg. Lock on my leg, quick, help me. Thankfully, Andre heard me and popped his head around the corner quizzically. Once he'd figured out what was going on, he came running and we both tried to push the rock off. And after one or two attempts, I managed to get my leg out. Push it this way. Push it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Oh, fuck. Okay. So, in the end, it was a lucky escape. The rock was heavy enough to pin me, but it didn't fall hard enough to do any real damage. It was a scary moment, and I don't mind admitting I was shaken, but really I was just a little squished around the calf. No damage at all. Okay. It just fell over. Not broken or anything? No, I think it's all right. Fucking. Are you okay? Yeah, I think so. Oh, shit. The sound of relief in Mark's voice was clear. He knew what a bad injury could mean. Shit. And, with almost comic timing, he announced we'd taken a wrong turn anyway. So, back we went. Um, I don't think this is it, I'm sorry. Okay. Fuck. Yeah, I think it'll be fine. At this point, the trees were getting huge. The dense canopy above blocked out most of the sunlight. Now, if you Google the tallest tree in New South Wales, it'll point you to a tree at Mile Lakes, much further south. So how do you measure the biggest tree? And just how high can they get? And why do we claim that this one's the tallest? I mean, this is, this is 50 plus across the board. And that's as tall as this type of forest can get. The, the, the eucalypt stuff adjoining, can, well, we've measured it at 80. I expect it could exceed 90 and probably in this landscape, like in terms of the humidity, the fertility, the shelteredness, I suspect trees could, would potentially reach their absolute physiological limit close to 100 metres. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are any out there that are 100? Hoping that one of these three patches that we're not going to get anywhere near today yeah. hosts a 90-plus metre tree. Relatively confident that that's the case. Uh Wait, hang on. You're telling me the tree we're going to see almost certainly isn't the tallest in the state? Well, here's the thing. The quote-unquote tallest tree is really the tallest measured tree. 
The biggest one ever found in Australia was 114 metres tall, although plenty have cast doubt on this account as well. It was in Victoria, a mountain ash, and if it really was that tall, it'd be just shy of the world record held by a California redwood. And we know about this one because someone, surprise, surprise, cut it down and then measured it. Is there an official way to get the, the record? There's a, there's a big tree register okay. and there's the big tree project. Yep. Um, based in Tassie nowadays, but with a bloke who grew up in Cops. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are ways of, and we've measured it with a really accurate laser range finder, yeah. but there are other ways of full-on survey, so using surveying techniques, yeah. rappelling up to measure, even having drones nowadays with really precise altimeters yeah. to do the 360 around the crown to get the very highest point and then the lowest point. Because with the laser range finder, you need a... Um, a point at which you can shoot a line to the top and the bottom from the same point. Mm -hmm. And fuck, that's hard. Yeah. Like we, we were on the edge of a cliff over here to shoot the 80 metre. Like literally, I'm, I'm hanging onto Pete's hand, then Pete's hanging onto mine as we're shooting these different levels at it. Yeah. 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 Trying not to fall off a cliff. Precisely. Right. Yeah. Holding a very expensive laser tool. Yeah. After a very long slog, we were just about there. Ah. 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 This is it, brother. The tallest tree in New South Wales. The last few metres were a real struggle. Mark, Alistair and Andre had all spent the summer running around mountainsides trying to stop fires. They were all at fighting weight, and I was clumsy ballast carrying a pack of electronics, making everything slower and harder. After losing a fight to a rock and copping every stinging bush and sharp edge on the way in, honestly, by this point, I'd had enough. So it wasn't quite this moment of meditative wonderment I guess I'd hoped for. Welcome to the tallest tree, kind sir. Yeah, go yeah. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's... um. It's here because you've got to fucking work so hard to, to do it. But it was quite a tree. The top was so far above the canopy that it was hard to figure out how high it truly was. Weirdly, it was surrounded by other trees that seemed more imposing because of their massive root systems. This fabled tallowwood apparently just reached skyward from the time it was a seedling, trying to claim its tiny bit of sunlight. After seeing so much of Australia burn there was something a bit reassuring about it, some sense that all was not lost. But it also felt like a warning, like a giant Cassandra forever hidden in the forest shade. Beyond the fact that it's just very, very big yep. and impressive, yep. is there another reason that it's really important? It shows that these areas have been fire-free for multiple centuries. So this fact about it being a clean skin, so black, uh, sorry, tallow would show any evidence of fire. And this whole hillside here has no evidence of fire. And long unburnt eucalypt forests are the richest expression of flowering plants on the planet. So the, the richest expression of plants on the planet is the gymnosperm. So the redwoods, sequoias yep. in California. Yep. And this is like the... So they're the gymnosperms, the naked seeded plants that were a lot more primitive than these flowering plants. Yep. So these are, like, it doesn't get 
richer, lusher, more productive. Like it's actually at the absolute limit of the physics of it because it needs to draw water through its conductive tissue. It's, it's right. xylem. Yeah. And well, xylem and phloem, the conductive tissue. Yeah. And there's a limit to that. I have no doubt that Mark will probably head further up that stream to find even taller trees. But at this point, it was time to head home. Many thanks to Mark Graham for having me along, and to Alistair, and a special shout-out to Andre for getting me out of a jam. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you'd like to sling some money at us in these oh-so-dark times for the journalisming, visit patreon.com slash thehumidity. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the underscore humidity. Search us on Facebook. I draw the line at TikTok. Next week, we'll be talking about neon and bamboo in Hong Kong, so a bit of a left turn. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon.